0: Remember, a phase is a stage in a process of change or development, development, and this phase is designed for you as a believer or for us as a believer so that we will grow spiritually, right? We have learned that we needed to study the word, that we need to pray, that we need to deal with the spirit of selfishness, And this one last week we dealt with that it's okay not to be okay, but as a believer, we need to enter into his rest. And I believe God has been uh, teaching us and leading me because part of my job as your pastor is not only to protect you, but to prepare you because there is an important point to all of it. Amen? Amen? To all of it. And so with that said, we'll continue to move on. In that vein, in 1973, a horse named Secretariat became a legend in his time. Not only did Secretariat win the triple crown of thoroughbred racing, but he did it with an unprecedented performance. At the Belmont Stakes, he not only won the race by 31 links, but he set new records along the way as he went faster with each phase of the run. (laughs) For one and one half miles, that famous thoroughbred ran faster every second. Secretariat was accelerating at such an incredible pace that his trainer noted that if the race had been extended another lap, his heart would have literally exploded. (laughs) His heart would have literally exploded because he was going faster and faster in that phase. It's always tempting to settle into the, to a status quo performance as well as chasing the culture. But the normal Christian life is not designed for that. Our greatest joy is, is, is found in straining, not just to finish, but to finish well. Amen. Not just to finish, but to finish well. Now, those who want to be faithful to the truth know that living and an, an overcoming life in the virtues of Christ means that you're going to have to go through some stuff. Right. That it won't be easy. And, 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 and things don't come just automatically. Right. The Bible tells us about the narrow way. It talks to us about the cross. It talks to us about self-denial. It talks to us about suffering and it talks to us about death. Now, the scriptures, they are full of serious exhortations, such as words found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Luke chapter thirteen, twenty-four 24 says this. It says, "Strive to enter through the gate, through the narrow gate. 1 Timothy chapter four and verse 16 says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine and continue in them. First Timothy chapter four, verse seven, and eight says, exercise yourself toward godliness. Why? For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. And remember from last from last week, we said the more godlier you are the more you are susceptible to an attack. <laughs> now, let me tell you, let me put, fix it where you can get it. The enemy of your soul is trying to hinder you so that you don't finish well. You hear me? The enemy, and you do have one, the adversary, the devil, of your soul, he is trying to hinder you so that you don't finish well. OK, now. Stick with me. There is a strong spirit that has been present since Genesis three and then used on Jesus and Matthew, but has seemed to have gotten stronger and more present. And that spirit is the spirit of doubt. The spirit of doubt. Doubt means to be uncertain about something. It means to be undecided in your opinion or, or your belief. It act, and also means to be hesitant to believe. Doubt means to be uncertain about something. Satan wants to make you uncertain about your position in Jesus Christ. Amen? And, but it's not unusual for him to do that because John 10.10 10 tells us, the thief cometh not for but to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the best ways he tries to steal, kill, and destroy is through the spirit of doubt. Know why? Doubt is the enemy's snare. Mm. Doubt is the enemy's snare. It's a trap. You need to understand that you are a spirit who possesses a soul and lives in a body. Now, your soul is your mind, your will and your emotions. And it is the access point that Satan can get into. So what does that mean? When Satan is allowed to use your mind as his playground, he will rob you of your inheritance as God's sons and daughters. He has access to your mind. And when he is allowed to use your mind as his playground, he will rob you of what God has for you. Now, let me put it this way: Satan does not need what you have. He is not after your car. He is not after your house. He is not even after your children. He is after your mind. Hmm. Let me put it: He don't need what you have. He don't need a car. (laughs) What are you gonna do with your car? (laughs) He don't need your house. children he wants your mind he wants the mind of the believer Mm. and although he can attack your body and he does sometimes attack your body he is not after your body he is after your belief system (laughs) okay I'm getting to the scripture in a minute all right But see, the definition of a belief system is this. It's a set of principles which form your foundation or where you come from. Amen? And there are at least six of them in the world's religions today. One is monotheism, which I talked about a little bit last week, that the Jewish Jewish, uh, people, that's the one they believe in, which means one God. Amen? One God. There's another one called dualism. Dualism recognizes the existence of exactly two deities or gods, which represent opposing forces. They believe in one that honor the one that's supposed to be deserving of worship uh, and goodness and order and sanctity and spirituality. But the other one is rejected as being evil and, and corrupted and material, amen. That's what dualism believes, all right? Then there's another one called polytheism. That's the religion that honors more than one god. You can have many gods. That door not could be a god. Just using that as an example, not saying that it is, amen. And then there's the atheistic one, which believes that there's no divine being, that this earth just came to be that we just came out of nowhere, which takes, in my mind's eye, takes more faith to believe than me to believe in God. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And then there's another one called non-theistic. It does not not center upon the existence of any, but it does not deny any God's existence. And then the last one is, and this is the one that most fits what's going on in the world today, the personal development movement. It encompasses a wide range of beliefs and practices. This movement primarily focuses on techniques for believers to better themselves in some way. Live your best life. Do it on your own. You don't need no help. You don't need God to even help you. All you need to do is just do what you do. Do you, do. Do you, boo, right? So in this phase, with all the noise that's in your ear, we are going to have to, or in our ears, we are going to have to deal with the spirit of doubt. Because just because you are fire baptized, born again believer, full of the Holy Spirit, does not mean Satan is not going to try to plant the seeds of doubt in your mind, in your belief system, right? So let's go to 1 Timothy, chapter 1. We'll start there. 1 Timothy, chapter 1. Now, the writer of 1 Timothy was Paul to Timothy, who was his son in the ministry. Now, the purpose of this letter was to give encouragement and instruction to Timothy, who was a young leader. This personal pastoral letter, letter and a handbook of this is a pastoral. This is a personal pastoral letter, and it was a handbook or an instruction manual to the church for administration and discipline. And Paul gives Timothy Instructions on right beliefs and instructions for the church and instructions for elders. So first Timothy chapter one. Amen. And uh, women, first Timothy, first Timothy chapter six. I'm sorry. First Timothy chapter six. And we're going to look at verse 11 and 12. Amen. It's a typo. Amen. First Timothy ch- chapter six. Verse 11 and 12. And here, this is Paul picking up. He says this. But thou or you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee means to run from all evil. And if you look at verse 10, it says, for the love of money is the what? Roof of all evil. So he's telling Timothy, but you, O man of God, flee or run from these things and follow after what? And what? And what? And what? And what? And what? And then the first part of 12 says, fight the what? Fight the what? Good fight of faith. Amen? So fight the good fight. Put away all those other things. And you need to fight the what? Good fight of faith. Doubt attacks your faith. Mm Mm-hmm. Faith is the fight that we as believers are supposed to have. But let me before we talk about the good fight of faith, let me say that doubt is a normal experience of life, especially in the context of faith. Just because you become a believer, as I said earlier, does not mean doubt won't ever show up again. How it shows up and giving you a report. That's bad. And looking at your children, who's gone astray, who's looking at your house that may be chaotic, but looking at the community, which seems out of control. So doubt tries to creep in and attack what? Your faith. And we are all longing to be sure of the things which we trust. Right. We are longing to be sure of those things. Right. And when it comes to living in faith, doubt is a part of the journey. But, and when the spirit of doubt tries to creep in, you are called to rely on your faith. Verse 12 says, and do what? Fight the what? Fighting, fighting the what? Good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Fighting for your faith is a good fight. (laughs) Don't regard fighting for your faith as a bad thing because he's telling, Paul's telling Timothy, fight the what? Good fight of what? Faith. Huh? Sometimes you got to read the Bible. You just can't read it. You got to read it. Paul says you got to fight the good fight of faith. He is using active and forceful verbs to describe the normal Christian life. He uses flee or run. He uses follow or pursue. He he uses fight. And if you finish it out, verse 12, he says, hold tightly. Amen. It's a fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, or hold tightly to eternal life. Amen. Some people think that Christianity is passive and only advocates for on waiting on God to act. That is not that's entry level Christianity. As you mature spiritually, you are going to have to be engaged in the good fight of faith. The devil is not going to allow you to grow spiritually without attacking your belief system because he does not want you to grow spiritually so that you won't be able to fight the good fight of faith. (laughs) So what is the good fight of faith? That means that you are standing firmly anchored in the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit regardless of what you feel, think, or even understand. Let me say that again. The good fight of faith means that you are standing standing firmly, that you are anchored in the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, regardless of what you feel, regardless of what you think, or regardless of what you even understand. That is the good fight of faith. And whether you realize it or not, there is a fight for what you believe. Amen. The good fight of faith is the only fight that you as a believer should be having. We should not be fighting other believers on what they believe. We should not be fighting unbelievers over what they don't believe. We got more than enough on our plate fighting for our own faith to, w- to not worry about their faith. We lose more people as believers because we're too busy infighting with each other, telling what a believer to another believer what you should be believing instead of standing on the faith that we have. And calling that righteousness. We fighting for God. Instead of God fighting for us. Mm. I'm just going to that, let that simmer. Let that marinate. We want this meat tender. When the meat's tender, it's pliable. It's falling off the bone tender. Y'all know that kind of meat. Y'all know I'm making y'all hungry. Amen where you can almost eat it without a fork. You almost cut that steak without a knife. That kind of tender. Believers spend too much time telling other believers what they need to believe because they don't act like the believer that's telling them how to believe. (laughs) And we call that righteousness. We're standing up for our faith. That's what they say. No, you're falling into the snare of the devil. Amen. Now, I'm not saying that correction is not warranted in some cases. However, that don't mean stand on your soapbox and condemn someone when it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict someone. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Holy Spirit does not condemn. He convicts. Amen. So what do you do when the, good, when the spirit of doubt tries to creep in. The spirit of doubt does not just come at you all at once. He creeps in. Because the devil in Genesis 3, he's subtle. He's more crafty than any of the other creatures, right? And so he creeps in. And that's how the spirit of doubt, it creeps in. Amen? It'd be like, have God said. What, what does that mean? It gets you into a conversation. Right. And then once he gets you into a conversation, he'll twist that conversation using the very same word of God. Right. And he'll mess you up and get you trapped like he did Eve and Adam. Right. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So when the spirit of doubt tries to creep in, you need to remember to keep pressing toward the mark. Yeah. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Let's dig in a little bit. Philippians chapter 3. We should know it by now, but that's all right. We might need to read it again. Amen. And we're going to start at verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. This is Paul again. All right. Verse 12 through 14. And he says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, which means mature, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 13 says, brethren, I count not myself to apprehended or to have achieved it. But this one thing I do. He says what I for forgetting those things, which are what? And reaching for or straining for or leaning toward or looking forward to those things that are what? Which are before or ahead. He goes on to say in verse 14, I press Hmm. toward the what? For what? For the prize of the what? All calling of God in who? Paul is actually saying that he hasn't arrived at full spiritual maturity. So if the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, is saying that he has not arrived yet, what makes you think that you have arrived? (laughs) He is saying that he is pressing toward knowing Jesus more and maturing. Paul makes every effort to take hold of that goal because Jesus has taken hold of him. He is striving to get closer to that for which Jesus grabbed him. He is not satisfied where he is. He wants to keep growing. And as I have said before, this phase is designed for you not just to go through it. He wants you to grow through it. Amen. Paul has a holy discontent that keeps him pressing on. He is not satisfied with the status quo. Paul wants to finish well. He just don't want to get in. He wants to finish. You should not just want to get to heaven. You should want to get to center square. Amen. (laughs) Getting in is good. Now, don't get me wrong. It's better than hell. Amen. However, that should not just be your goal. It should be trying to get to center square. Amen. Hallelujah. And Paul forgets what is behind and reaches forward with his head. In other words, don't be like Lot's wife. Right? Who has gotten away, but was tempted, and she looked back. And she turned into what? A pillar of salt And she could not get away. Because she looked back. Amen. You need to just continue to say yes to Jesus. I don't understand it. Yes, Jesus. I'm going through it right now. Yes, Jesus. I don't feel good in my body. Yes, Jesus. I don't understand what's going on in my family. Yes, Jesus. Did somebody pass away in my family? Yes, Jesus. Continue to say yes, Jesus, because he surpasses all knowledge, right? To become an excellent believer and fulfill your kingdom purpose, you need to have a short-term memory and a clear direction. You must forget all aspects of yesterday. You got to let go of your successes, your failures, and the ways others have hurt you. You hear me? You have to let go of your successes, your failures, and the ways others have helped you. Now, check this out. When I say forget, it does not mean you don't remember the past. It means not allowing the past to control you. (laughs) Amen. Don't let your past control you. Yeah, it was good. Don't let that control you. Yeah, it was bad. Don't let that control you. Forget those things which are behind and reach for those things that are ahead. In other words, press toward the mark of the high calling of God that's in what Christ Jesus. Hmm. The way to get over yesterday is to have a forward focus and press on. Amen. The way to get over yesterday is to have a forward focus and press on. Not a forward Focus. A forward focus. Amen. (laughs) And press on. It's a reason why that rear view mirror is so small. And your windshield is so big. Amen. Amen. That's the reason why. You are supposed to look forward continually unless you have to back up for a minute. And, but you can't stay backing up, right? <laughs> you got you to turn to drive at some point. Amen. You need to live in time with an eternal focus. You need to live in time. That means to live here on this earth as a believer, as a kingdom disciple, but with an eternal focus. Meaning this, this life ain't all there is. Mm-hmm. Amen. So you got to what? Keep pressing forward. Amen. Then number two, when the spirit of doubt tries to creep in, you need to remember the Lord's intention for your life. Remember the Lord's intention for your life. Let's go to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah 29, and we're going to look at verse 11 through 14. It says this. For I know the thoughts or plans that I think or have towards you or for you. Mm. Huh. Say it Amen. the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. Verse 12 says, then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Verse 13 says, and you shall seek me and do what? Find me. When you do what? Shall search for me with what? All your heart. And verse 14 says, and I will be found of or by you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. He's speaking to the Babylonian. The, the children that were captured in Babylon. And I will gather you from all nations and from all places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I cause you to be carried away captive. When the spirit of doubt tries to creep in, this is what you need to do. You need to call, you need to pray, and you need to seek, and you need to search for God. You need to call. You need to pray, you need to seek, and you need to search for God. Not Google. Not your three best backslidden friends. You need to call, pray, seek, and search for God with all your heart. That's the caveat. And he (laughs) will be found. You need to believe that He wants good things for you, and He has a plan for your life. Your pl- God's plan for you is not happenstance. He didn't plan your life from uh, on a day-to-day basis. He plans your life throughout time, when you were born into time and when you leave time. God's plan is a part of your life. Amen. Throughout the word, you find repeated references to God's people seeking after him. And implied in these passages is a quest for God that includes a level of intensity beyond what might be termed ordinary prayer. God does not want you to seek him through using ordinary prayer. When the spirit of doubt tries to creep in, he wants you to intensify your praying. What does that mean? That means more than just saying, good Lord, thank you for the day. Amen. You wish you should, but God is saying, no, you get in my face. (laughs) You stay in my face. Amen. Amen. The word search along with the phrase, all your heart suggests an earnestness that borders on desperation. In other words, God, well, let me put it this way. God will sometimes put you in a place where you have to almost, sometimes you are desperate. You know why he does that? Because that's the only way you're going to call him. That's the only way you're going to pray to him. That's the only way you're going to search for him. That's the only way you're going to seek for him. Hmm. Now the word search is the Hebrew word deresh, deresh, deresh. I'm sorry. Darish. D-A-R-A-S-H, Darash. It suggests a following after or a close pursuit of a desired objective. It also implies a diligence in the searching process. You remember that lady in the, in the New Testament who kept going back and back and back and back to the judge to get what she wanted? She was a persistent widow. That's what they call her. Because she was persistently praying. She is diligently seeking after God the answer that she needs. The economic titans and power brokers of the world can't help you like God can. In other words, the super rich and those in power cannot help you like your God can. Brian James, a great basketball player, a lot of money, but he can't help you like God can. Hmm. But this kind of blessing requires a wholehearted seeking of God. This demands more than attending church on Sunday, because what 2020 has shown us, we might not be able to come to church. Amen. Amen. It requires more than tapping your feet when you do come to church and hearing a sermon when you come to church and just saying amen. You have to commit your heart to the Lord 24-7 because if you don't, you will be in the same spot this time next year if the Lord allows. (laughs) But when you obey him and worship him, in your day-to-day life, or in your day-to-day walk, he is ready, willing, and able to commit, communicate with you, and he will also reverse your circumstances. Dr. Tony Evans says this. He says, many Christians want God to walk with them. That's backwards. God wants us to walk with him. Right, right, right. <laughs> Amen. Many Christians want God to walk with them God wants us to walk with him. Amen. When the spirit of doubt creeps in, remember God's intention and plans for your life. Good, not of evil. Amen. He wants what's best for you according to his will. Last thing I'll say is remember when the spirit of doubt tries to creep in, remember God's love for you as a believer. All right. Let's go to my favorite scripture. What is it? All right. Y'all got it. Amen. <laughs> I know that one, but I got other ones that go along with it, so I don't know them yet. <laughs> John 316 through 18. It says this, for God so what? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not what? Perish, but have what? Everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to what? Condemn the world. But that the world through him might be what? He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We are living at a time when we can do nothing but trust God. And the devil is trying all he can to to get you to doubt what you believe. To believe is this. It's more than an intellectual agreement that Jesus is God's son. It means this. It means to put your trust and confidence in him that he alone can save you. Romans 10 verse 9 says this. In the New King James, it if that If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus, raised him or Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Believing is our only gateway to God. It's nothing fancy, nothing dancy. He just says you just need to believe. Huh? It's to, to believe is to put Jesus in charge of your present plans and your internal, eternal destiny. Believing is both trusting his words as reliable and relying on him for the power to change. Why? What you believe affects your behavior. (laughs) You want an example of what people believe? Look in the news that happened on Friday. What you believe affects your behavior. And if you have the wrong belief system, you will do the wrong thing. That's our, that are according to the word of God. The Bible told us earlier, fight the good fight of faith. It says, don't fight each other. Right. <laughs> right? right? You don't have to prove who you are when you know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You don't have to prove who you are when you know who you are. And if you are a believer, shout, I'm a believer. Yeah. I'm a believer. People often try to protect themselves from their fears by putting their faith in something they have, good deeds, skill, or intelligence, money, or possessions. But only God can save you from the one thing you really need to fear, and that is eternal condemnation. Only God can save you from eternal condemnation. If you have never trusted Jesus, let this promise of everlasting life be yours by becoming a believer who is transformed into a disciple. Amen. Amen. Say, I'm a believer. believer. And if you're not a believer, you better become a believer. Because only God can save you from eternal condemnation. This little bit of stuff we go through down here, (laughs) for this short time that we are down here, pales in comparison to what eternal condemnation will be. Time is short, but eternity is long. And when the spirit of doubt tries to creep in, remember to keep pressing toward the mark. Remember the Lord's intention for your life. And remember God's love for you as a believer. Amen? Amen. Thank God for his word. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your...